What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe here in Portland, Oregon. This has become one of my favorite local hangs because they have free music every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. and Sunday afternoons 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. They are located in inner southeast Portland and not only do they offer free music on their their large patio setup, but they've also got a killer brunch menu from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. The French toast and the breakfast sandwich are lights out. And I can't really do much alcohol personally, but I love their Virgin Bloody Marys. And they've got some other mocktails for folks like me as well. And they're always rotating in new seasonal cocktails. So come through and check out what they've got on deck for fall and winter down there. The patio is now nice, covered, and heated and will be throughout the fall and winter. So come through and big thanks to Produce Row for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program. Once again, if this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so. And that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast and just a great way to contribute to the sustainability of this thing. Appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. Can't stress the importance of those iTunes reviews enough. 
If you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe, wherever you are listening from. The podcast is on Spotify now, if that's your preferred place for listening to things. And I've also been dropping some monthly playlists on Spotify every first of the month, trying to keep them pretty spread out genre-wise and just to peek into what I'm listening to each month. So that link will be in the episode notes to keep up with the Spotify profile. Stoked to get into yet another episode of the podcast. Got return guest Alex Meltzer is on the show. I met this dude six years ago or so, right around the time I started this podcast. And at the time, I knew Meltz as this killing bass player. And he was playing in a a few different projects at that time. But uh, most consistently, I guess, with Two Planets, which was the, the first group he came through the studio with. And for you longtime listeners, you know that the the early days of the cast was done at Mountain Air Studios in the Brooklyn neighborhood of Portland. And we would do these in-studio sessions in which we'd have a conversation and there would also be a live performance to it as well. So Two Planets came through for one of the early sessions of that. And then Meltzer and his co-collaborator in Corgi and Bass, Barrett Brown, came through shortly after that for one of those studio sessions as well. But I've seen this dude play numerous gigs over the years, whether it be his solo stuff or Corgi and bass shows or with other projects around town. And he's one of my favorite musicians that I've encountered to see play live in this city. And especially when he's doing his solo gigs, the the live beat gigs and the Corgi and bass stuff, I feel like the music heads usually gravitate towards the stage and want to get good eyes on what Meltzer is doing. So this was the first time I ever got to chat with Meltz one-on-one on the podcast. So it was nice to get to really dive into his process and talk about his workflow as well as dive into his most recent project called Big Blocks, which is available on Bandcamp right now. I'll put that link in the episode notes. It will be on all the major platforms on February 18th. And if you're listening to this on release weekend and you're local to the Portland area, you can catch Meltzer this Sunday, January 23rd, over at Holocene with the Rose Tinted Band. It's going to be a great show. And it's also featuring Vanport as well, who's a, a great local DJ and uh, you can catch Vanport every first Tuesday of the month over at North 45 from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. over there at North 45. They got DJs every Tuesday night and uh, also every Sunday afternoon. So if you hear this in time, come through Holocene on Sunday and catch Meltzer doing his thing with a live band. And also, if you're local to the area, I will be DJing over at Produce Row on January 30th. Brunch gig, noon to 2 over there. And they have DJs from noon to 2 every Sunday over there at Produce Row. And they've also got music at Produce Row Cafe every Thursday night from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Jazz trios, folk duos, singer-songwriters. So the Produce Row Website link will be in the episode notes along with the other sponsors, Distro Kid and North 45. 
and uh, that link for Meltzer's record on the Bandcamp will be there, as well as the Instagram links for Meltzer and Corgi and Pace and myself, as well as the email for the show, dancablepresents at gmail.com. Don't be shy. Send me an email. Say what's up. Let me know what you're listening to. Let me know what you want to here on the show and with that we are going to get in to episode 292 of the podcast big thanks to Meltzer for doing the thing you're gonna hear tracks from his new record big blocks throughout the episode and we are going to kick it off with one of my favorite tracks the opening track and it's called mortal Let's do the damn thing. gonna be the first podcast i do with melts where we don't get blasted but no it's just not on the cards it wouldn't be right you know it wouldn't be right <laughs> i gotta make beats after this it's okay <laughs> <laughs> i gotta edit this podcast after so it's all good <laughs> stoked to to chat with you about your new uh big blocks record that you just put out and also i'm creeping up on 300 episodes of this thing melts and and you have certainly like been a part of the history i feel like from the beginning in in one way or the other like you your first appearance was with the two planets crew and that couldn't have been more than like 13 episodes or so into the the podcast and you and barra have done the the cast a couple times and you've done some live show shit for me so uh it's just a. It's cool to to connect with you now. I guess like six years later, and you're someone that I'm. I always enjoy running into. I'm always stoked when I when I see you, and definitely one of my my favorite musicians that I've got to uh, build some sort of relationship with over my time being here in Portland. So uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just always. Uh, it's always nice to see the people that are still doing it when you get involved in something like this for for this long you know that's that's always really inspiring and you seem to be this dude that never never quits working (laughs) (laughs) man i mean shit dude i super appreciate and yeah i know it's like we've been i was just thinking about that this morning when when i was like damn like because we just saw that picture of like the two planet shit yeah that was 2016 it's like man i remember that day like very vividly and it was super fun and then 
because like Corgi and Bass did it. Did we do it the same day or like the next day or something? Maybe maybe like a couple weeks later or something. Yeah, it was, it was pretty. It was pretty close. But Adverse was on the same day as us. Yeah, Adverse that. was on the same Corgi and Bass day. And then I mean, yeah, and that was like that was a year or less after I moved here, you know. So it's been, I mean, yeah, dude. And like you've all big up Dan on his own podcast where <laughs> Dan's like been very supportive and like always hooked. He's got me gigs, man. Like, I mean, all around solid dude. Like, and yeah, I'm always very stoked to see you at gigs. And yeah, it's awesome, man. But yeah, I appreciate all the kind words too, man. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you as well and it's like that's also one of the the cool things of now kind of being in this position where i can feed some people gigs at this point it's like oh and i've since i've gotten to know some people over over the last six years it's uh it's really cool to be able to you know give those people some gigs here and there and uh you know feed the people i want to help get fed no man it's seriously so important and it's like and you're like vouching for like i i think like the most important thing about this is like you're vouching for people like as artists doing like i'm gonna curate like the right people for these situations and like people are gonna get paid yeah and like you're gonna get your meal and you're gonna get your drink and stuff it's like man like it, it it seems so fucking Honestly, when I first started gigging like 10 years ago in Phoenix, that shit was like super basic, you know, it's like you're going to get a a meal and a drink and the pay is going to be like enough for you to go spend your Saturday night doing it. But like now it's I I don't know, it does. Them shits are way harder to come by. And it's the same fucking pay that we were getting 10 years ago, too. So, right. Right. Yeah, man. I mean, I grew up in the like Southern California pay to play situation so when i came to portland and saw that there was all these really cool venues and people were actually you know getting paid from the door and not just getting like completely dicked over by a promoter i was i was stoked about that but you know starting to throw shows like really taught me like what was important about you know making sure that the people that that were playing the gigs were actually like getting taken care of so it's just like totally, man. And like, dude, that shit is all like very reflective on like how the gig goes in general. Like you curate a good event with like kind of like making sure the artists are being treated right. Like people are going to fucking go and the artists are going to go hard too. Yeah. You know, I, 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 to me, it's just like, there's, you know, but if you're going to like ask people to like pay to play, <laughs> like, right. You know, you're going to get, you're going to, or to like get not get paid anything and you know yeah i mean you're just kind of like building upon like a shit pile absolutely i think it's also just trying to help people understand that it's not just the uh you know if you're playing a two-hour gig tonight it's not just the fucking two hours that people saw you play it's the hour before of setup it's the hour after of teardown and it's all of the preparation that went into to doing that set so it's it's like you gotta you gotta find ways to put that in perspective for the people booking the gigs and whatnot and totally for, and man. for the and people that's showing like, up that's just like the biggest that's really the biggest part of it and it sucks because it's like you know like we've worked in restaurants you know like what a payout at the end of the day is like and you're 
and then it'd be like oh now you want us to give like four hundred dollars of our shit to like the fucking band and when we only made like a couple grand tonight (laughs) you know that's like that's that's like a hard toss-up but at the end of the day it's like this is like the kind of quality we need like in order for like us to build upon this so that like it is the standard again that people are getting paid like 150 for a two-hour gig yeah like i don't understand like why that's not the fucking minimum like it it just should be and like if you can't afford that then like i don't know but there there are a lot of venues and like really dope advocates in portland doing good though i think yeah for sure and i was i mean like I guess just to plug, I got I got a show on Sunday at Holocene too, uh, with the this band, that band Rose Tinted I've been playing with, and th- and that band is fucking sick. I guess I'll just kind of explain this shit a little bit too. It's like, it's like boom bap cover stuff, um, with my buddy Kirk Kaufleisch on drums, Sam Arnold on bass, and then Selly is like amazing uh, DJ scratcher yeah. dude. Like dudes incredible. I mean they're all fucking incredible. I love i'm stoked to be playing with them but it's all boom bap covers like classic shit and what i'm doing is like going back and re-chopping a lot of the original samples um and it's been really fucking cool to like go back and like listen to the sample i mean i'm i'm not like i could have like tried to find the sample on my own but i definitely like just like googled where the samples come from but even at that like you hear some samples and you're like, holy shit, like how did they get like, you know, a war tour, like tripod quest, like out of these joints, you know, they like did some crazy, like processing where they were like canceling out frequencies and all the shit only just to like make the roads loop that like everybody recognizes. But when in the sample, there's like a guitar solo over it, you know, but like, you don't think about that shit. So then, and it's like pitched differently. And then there's like another sample on top of it like from some other shit that's pitched differently. So it's just crazy going back and like rechopping these and like trying to figure out like, it's like these like discovering like study. I mean, it feels like practicing and like studying, but all that to basically say that like in order for us to play like our hour and a half gig, like I got to go back and like figure out this. Like I could just like get the tr- the instrumental of the beat and like have the dudes play over the beat, which I do on a couple tracks, but like, it's way more fun to like be like oh yeah we're like actually diving into like right original sample sources and stuff like that but all that to say like yeah that's like just to put in i i love doing this gig and i would do it for even less than i'm getting paid for it now but like the amount of like hours that i gotta put in to like making sure each you know like figuring out the sample and then ch- chopping and processing it like that and then you and yeah, and then you have like a sound check to check in like hours before the gig, and you may be able to go home in between. You probably won't be able to, and then you're just kind of yeah. stuck in this situation. But do you uh like when you're doing stuff like doing the deep dive on those samples you're talking about? Is that a situation where you feel like it's it's similar to maybe learning a cover? or an arrangement of a tune where it just like really maybe informs like your future compositions. 100% dude. Yeah. And that's like the most like powerful part about it. I mean, is it feels like 
you know, I'm playing a gig with the material. So there's an end product to the thing, but I would do, I would be down to do this and never show anybody that I was doing it, you know, just as like a practice like thing. And I feel like I, yeah, this is something I think about kind of regularly is like in like our modern, like music producer society where it's like, you know, you go on the internet and it's just like all this shit of like like content or whatever it's like so many beat videos and people are like amazing at everything and i just feel like there's like not everything needs to be made to be content in our day and age like i think there that Mm -hmm. there's like a good value in just like practicing something and like and that's the thing about like instrumentalists like people who just like play an instrument it's like you know you just play guitar and it's like i mean some fools like post every them playing guitar every time but like a lot of people don't and it's like you're if you're just practicing scales it's not like you're gonna post that every time like where's the flip side for like producer land for that Mm. like aren't there like techniques and stuff that we can do to like be like oh i'm just like practicing this shit just to inform myself and like it's not for anybody or anything except for just to like dig in on this stuff i feel good to have like an outlet for this like boom bap stuff though for sure and it feels dope to play it with but like i mean again like even if i didn't show anybody it would be cool to be like oh like i fucking love this beat like how how did this dude chop it let me go find the sample and try to chop it like that yeah yeah i mean i think that you're absolutely right we're just kind of in this age where it feels like if you don't share something it didn't happen (laughs) like if you don't put it up somewhere (laughs) but like straight up like my favorite cats i feel like it's like if they when they do post something on instagram it's just like one thing that i'm like holy shit this fool is amazing and like i had no idea that they were even on this type of shit before yeah you know absolutely i just think that adds a lot more like value to you as like an individual if you're like down to sit there and like like work on beats but like not have a beat to show at the end of the day yeah (laughs) maybe that's not like I don't think I, I I feel like there's and I do this to myself. I'm mostly just, I guess, speaking for myself, like, well, it's like, oh, well, I worked all day. But like, where's the fucking bounce down or like, I don't have mm. shit. And it's like, well, I actually did like all this other stuff, though, you know, so I don't know, like redefining like what practicing and like working on shit is, I think, versus just like this, like content driven. Yeah. Shit that we're in or like. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's mostly just like for myself to like, I have to tell myself this, like, all right, it's not like you're still working, even though it's like not showing as long as you're like progressing and shit every day. Absolutely. It's all, it's all contributing to, to what you're doing and whatnot. I, uh, I was curious about your workflow, man. Cause you're, you're like I said at the, at the top, I feel like you're always putting out music or collaborating with somebody and, and working on, different projects so are you the type of dude that is waking up every day and you're making some music whether you want to or not just for the the simple like practice and and discipline of it yeah for sure i mean yeah i i definitely i'm like very much a morning person like i'm up between like 7 30 and 8 30 and yeah i don't know i always feel like it's like a nervous thing where i'm just like i i need to fucking sit down like 
now like in the first thing in the morning just to like get some shit in because if i don't try that day then like someday i mean some days i i'll i'll sit down and go for like an hour and be like ah oh, this shit is just like i kind of need to like go do something else and maybe come back to it later but no i got i i definitely like sit down and work like first thing in the morning at like every day for sure and like every i mean i take days off like every now and then but like it's definitely like if i wake up and then have to go do something i come back and start working then too and then i'll go into the evening that way but yeah i think a big part of it too has been i mean you know it's all habits and stuff at this point it's hard to say whether it's like a healthy or not sometimes but like for me it's like as far as like processes and stuff like I, I i try to create like as many different processes for like creating music as i can for myself that i'm like know that i'm interested in it enough that i could like wake up one morning and be like okay like this is the tip that i'm on like mm. i'm i know that i, I want to go down like even as it's usually like a routing thing like with gear for sure it's like oh like i'm gonna do mpc shit like, like that's how this tape came about i was like i'm gonna do mpc shit with my with my profit rev 2 like that's the only two things i'm gonna use and like drum samples and then that's how the tape came about so it's like if i have like a very focused idea of like okay this is this is like the textures and like the idea of like the gear routing that i want to go for then that's just like yeah, I, I just try to set up as many of those as I possibly can. Yeah. And then if I know how to work a lot of different gear, that means I can put things in different orders and always kind of have an idea of like, you know, oh, okay, like today's like Ableton shit with like live instruments. Or maybe the next day is like Ableton with like synth instruments. And so I don't know. Or it's just like a bass day. So I just like practice bass or like a piano day and just like practice piano or like make a drum sample pack. And again, the, this comes back to like the practicing thing where it's like some days it's like, I'm only just like going to do fucking drum samples today. I'm going to go downstairs and like hit the drums a few times and like make a sample pack that day. Yeah. In this day and age, it's, it's like easy to get like either like have not enough gear to like give yourself some options and to like learn new things but then it's also the thing of like having too much gear where you're like, oh, I have everything plugged in all the time and it does all this shit without giving yourself some fucking limitations, you know? Right. Which I, I'm all, and that's how, mostly how I think is just like in limitations. Like, and that's why I like old gear and stuff too. It's like, oh, it can only do this, but it has this other cork that makes it like worthwhile to work on. And now I like working on it. creative parameters seem to be uh seem to be important to a lot of folks and i would imagine that also just kind of attributes to your excitement for projects but and also just for you know for each project kind of having its own feel and, and sound to it if you're only using this specific gear and whatnot 
totally man that's how i like records is things that are like and that's kind of like the idea behind the name big blocks too is like in a you know when you're making beats it's like you have little blocks like on your grid that you like put shit into to like make your loops but like a bigger block is like the song within the whole album that's like one of seven blocks of the ep and then the album itself is like another block so i don't know i just i love thinking in like like big arcs of as far as like records go it's like as far as like dynamic energy and as far as like textural and like cohesion and stuff i just feel like my favorite records all have like they just like immediately take you to a vibe Mm -hmm. and like a place and like and you can push it and go different directions but generally it's just like it always just like it's like a it like a really good record always like reminds me of like a time and place in my life you know like when i Absolutely, listen to that record dude. you know yeah. what i mean fuck yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i think i can mostly identify all of my favorite albums and and tell you uh, where I fell in love with it, or I might even be able to tell you which record store I bought the vinyl at, things like that, and and having those stories, I feel like almost like most of the records in my collection I associate with somebody. Things exactly, like, yeah. dude, or with like like some sort of emotion that you were like feeling at the time that you like got this record, <laughs> and like some and so and and I think this is even more evident when you like have a record like that you know you like it but then like a year later you come back to it and it hits you in a fucking different way because mm. like that just like goes to show you like how your mood as like a person and like how different pieces of art can like affect like different records can affect you at certain points in your life i don't know yeah i feel like there's i i can like pinpoint a couple records yeah, this one that it's like one of my favorite records, but it's a uh, Swarvy uh, do rent with this dude Logi on raps, and it's just like it just like specifically reminds me of every day, like on the summer, on the f- fucking fourteen Hawthorne bus. Like it just like takes me there like instantly, and and I listened to the record like a year before that, and it didn't hit me the same way. I wasn't like. But like listening to it when it's all like hot and shitty and but that record has like this super cohesion where it's like the raps and like the whole thing just has this like immense vibe. So I I don't know when I make a record and like collab with somebody and like we're making a project that's like I I love thinking like big arc, large form, you know, when I when I dig in to your music, you know, like this big blocks record it it does feel like transcendent and it does feel like you create a world like pretty quickly that kind of sucks you in and that's kind of what i've grown to uh maybe expect in some ways from from the projects that you're working on whether it's solo or or collaborative and that's uh especially with the instrumental music man it's it's uh there's always so much room for that that growth or like hearing different things like you're saying going back to a record maybe a year or two later or even when i listen to this big blocks album tomorrow i'm gonna hear something i probably didn't hear this morning (laughs) 
I love a good record, you know, and that's like, I, I just love when there's like a very strong point, not even necessarily pointed musical idea, but like the emotion and the vibe of the record is definitive. Yeah. And it permeates like the whole fucking record that way. Cause then that lends itself to like making the listener attach it with a more pointed emotion or like a pointed feeling versus like, Oh, here's like the 10 best joints that I wrote over like a two year period, Mm. but they're like kind of all over the place, even though they're all really good joints, you know, maybe it doesn't come off as a record though. Yeah. There's something about a record where you can put on a track and the spirit of the record comes through in every track, but it's still dynamic and doesn't, uh, you know, feel like you're listening to the same, same thing the whole time. So. No, totally, dude. I don't know. And like, uh, this might be kind of whack, but like, I mean, fuck, like, dude, like symphonies and shit and operas are like written like that, you know? There's like literal musical themes throughout these records. Or if you think, man, like another one that like I was into in high school, like just all the that listened to it like so much was the, you know, Mob Deep, the infamous. And it's just like, it takes me to this like dark and gritty or, only built for Cuban links, Raekwon. I mean, that's like still one of my favorite records of all time. And it's, there's just like, it just, um, there's a, this dark, like grimy vibe to the whole thing with, and the way the vocals sound, like the content of the vocals, the way the beats sound, it just immediate, like the whole record has this, I mean, and that's why it's a legendary record. It just, all of it has this like dark vibe, but every track is just like, next one's like, holy shit. Like this is dopest yeah. joint on the album. And the next one comes on. It's like, Oh fuck, this is the do- dopest <laughs> joint. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I love the idea of somebody listening to this podcast and then you bringing up the orchestra and symphony stuff and just being like, yeah, fuck this guy. He's whack and turning it off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true but you know it's all relative and it'd be good. so funny if, if like yeah that's what that's what someone made their judgment based on i can't believe he brought up that symphony shit <laughs> hey man i like i like a good symphony hey, and yeah good I'm, opera I'm into, it, into it into <laughs> it i brought up mob deep right after that though so yeah know. Yeah, <laughs> you justified yourself for the heads. Exactly. <laughs> I noticed on on Bandcamp when you post projects, you usually include what gear, like what the process was in making it. Is that just something you like to put out for the the other nerds out there, or do you think that's like, is that something you enjoy when you're checking out? somebody else's project and you can kind of see what the gear breakdown was to maybe help you inform yourself of how you can maybe create similar sounds with with different gear software i mean 100 percent, dude yeah, yeah i i love like when i see i and i think it goes back to like old records and shit too where you look at like personnel listing and it'd be like this motherfucker on these like specific weird ass instruments that nobody's ever heard of yeah i always just thought that shit was tight because it's like and it would be like gamelan bells on track 
to and and it's fucking like Steve Gadd or like some crazy fool like doing it and you'd be like what the fuck that's like that's not a real example but like you know it'd be like holy shit there's like or oh I there's this weird ass instrument in this recording and I and like you're like oh shit it's a gamelan bell or something yeah I, I don't know I, I think I just like putting it on there just to be like yeah this is what I use and I, I do I do love seeing again the I mean this dude's like my hero but this dude Swarvi um who I mentioned a little bit ago to the first thing I ever or one of the first things I ever heard by him was his like first tape that he put out and the shit is like so wild and it's like just this crazy avant-garde like beat music shit from like 2011 but he put it in and he's like made on an sp303 and i was like and that and if i had heard that i would have been never been like oh this fool made it on a 303 because that's like an old slow piece of gear and like i got one and i use it a lot but it's like fucked up and i would never conceive of being like how the fuck did this fool make this but and i would have never known that unless he had put in his Bandcamp descriptions, like oh, all made on an SP three hundred three. So that was that was a huge pivotal. Mo- that, I mean, I kind of take. I, I think I took influence from that too. And like, oh yeah, maybe somebody would hear some of my shit and be like, oh, how did what the fuck instrument is happening? Or like, how did these drums get pros- programmed? It's like, oh yeah, it's all done on an MPC or it's all done on like five hundred five looper or something. Yeah. collection of tunes was there any new approaches that you took to putting that together or just uh anything that you maybe learned along the way making that one that you feel like will inform the process moving forward yeah for sure i mean a lot of it was like the new npc shit for me i know the shit might get a little nerdy but like i just get nerdy melts that's why that's why you're here it uh it really like opened up a whole new realm because i love i had an mpc 1000 that i love um and i used for a long ass time but then i got the new joint and it just opened up this whole new world for me because i love mpc workflow and there's just a million different options for routing audio and effect slots and so i kind of experimented with like signal chain within the mpc itself as far as like running uh like grouping a bunch of instruments together and then running them through like an effect and then grouping some other instruments together and running them through another effect so a lot of it had my like all my drums going you're able to like process all things together now and put shit on your master track now and all these different effects and stuff so it's really just like kind of going ham with that shit and experimenting that's why i kind of sound like a lot of the i mean it's like i know big blocks is like it's a little bit weird on this one the grooves are a little bit weird but it was really just like doing time stretching and processing it weird um and then as far as like the synth shit you can do 
you can like record MIDI information into the MPC, which you've always been able to do. I mean, yeah, it's what it's known for, but then really just digging into the process of like recording MIDI into the MPC, sending it back to my synth, doing some different shit, recording the audio into the MPC, chopping it up and then doing some other shit. And I was like, oh, I want to get, cause that synth sounds so good. I was like, all I need is drums in this synth. And I think I could just like go ham like that. <laughs> and, that and that was it. So yeah. And uh, again, this one was like really, it felt really good just because I, I love like giving myself like hard to find param- parameters like that, where it's like, like literally only these two things out of all my gear, like this is all I'm using. Or like if I'm doing an effects chain or something, it'd be like, this is like what my master's going to sound like. And I'm going to work off the initial cell of the idea from like beginning of record to the end of record. And I'm just, or it's more like, I start with an idea. I'm like, I'm just going to keep on making joints until I feel like I can't make joints like this anymore. And that's, and I, I actually made 10 for this record, but I scrapped like three of them. Is that easy for you to see? Like when, when you have this collection of 10 that three don't really fit that well or. Yeah. It'd be like, it'd be like that. Ah, it just doesn't groove right. Or like, and it's not really worth putting the time in to like make it groove. Right. Because also for me, too, is like I just go off my like when I'm like laying making a new beat, I just, you know, you start from like square one and like I just go with my first idea every time for the most part, unless I'm like, okay, I have a specific sound. And like now I'm working into specific sounds in my mind once I have like the basics of the beat. So I just do shit pretty fast. And then from there on, it's like if I like it at the end, then cool that's good it can make it on the tape but if i don't then it's not (laughs) for sure but it's pretty easy for like you to see also just that like these three tracks don't meet the like hit the bar that the others seem to be at and it was more like immediately like as soon as i finished the beat, i was Mm. like this one's not making it i'm just gonna (laughs) start another one yeah but that's the healthiest way to go for me that's the healthiest way to go about it and just be like all right that's that one didn't work out i'm gonna try another one and then usually it's like the last like two that i make for a project like don't make it because it's like okay i've exhausted i could keep hammering this into the ground and maybe getting frustrated but what what what's really the point of that yeah that's interesting that that pattern is there that you can like see that that exhaustion in the tracks and that it often is those those last couple but then sometimes i don't know sometimes you, you like power through some shit and then you might make your best joint though. I don't know. I, I just like to like trust your gut though at the end of the day. And if you're telling yourself like, okay, I'm ready to go on to like mastering these joints. Cause that's how I do it. I all like make when I do MPC joints, it's like I make like an eight bar loop. And if that eight bar loop ain't popping, then it's not gonna make the cut. And then I'll make the next one. So I just make like a bunch of eight bar loops or 16. Or maybe I'll get the whole form down, but nothing's like a range really. And then when I'm done making, I'm going to be like, okay, now I'm going to go back to the first one and start recording them in and doing arrangements and stuff. So that's kind of how I like doing it. Cause I also like giving myself, like, if you're going to make beats really fast, like give yourself a day to like come back to them and be like, okay, that one actually mm. 
was tight it just like my mix like i i you know your mix just isn't right and then you can make a really like informed decision on your mixes and stuff like if you just like make it quick come back the next day and be like all right either works or it doesn't yeah yeah it's dude even mixing the podcast after if i'm editing a podcast all day there's just like a certain point where i have to step away and i know it's it sounds crazy because i'm usually just fucking around with voices occasionally creeping some music in but yeah sometimes i'll come back to something you know the next day and just what were you thinking dude this is way too loud or way too quiet or you know it's just uh you get that tunnel vision when you're when you're in it too far sometimes 100 percent, dude i mean that's like yeah i mean for everybody listening, do your make beats quiet. <laughs> it makes it way easier to make beats that sound fat if you do them quiet. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> but um I, I mean, dude, like the tunnel vision and everything, like once your head is like in a certain place, very rarely am I like very comfortable with a decision, like mixing decision, like the first time I make it. I, I like need to forget it for the next day and, and then come back to it the next day and be like okay i don't remember if or like i maybe my kick was too loud but i'm not totally sure and then you come back the next day it's like holy shit my kick was way too loud <laughs> like, and and like in physically too like thinking about your ears and stuff like when you're especially with loudness things and like differences it's like if you're listening to something over and over again like your brain just and your ears like respond to it and Cause it like your ears like get used to this like thing being this loud that all of a sudden it doesn't sound loud anymore to you yeah after an hour of you listening to it over and over again for sure slats is one of my favorites on the the record especially when those melodies come in like 50 seconds or so into the the song that one is killing yeah that one's definitely inspired by my by my buddy from college um as far as like that kind of melody shit goes i do that kind of melody shit a lot but i definitely stole it from him where he just would do these like little plinky very simple just top note things over like some pretty chords and i'm like damn i always just sometimes that vibe just like gets me just wanted to take a quick minute to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by north 45 pub located in the alphabet district of northwest portland they've got a killer selection of belgian beers and an extensive liquor wall with over 200 bottles mussels and fritz are on the menu their cheeseburger is lights out and they've always got some killer weekly specials as well Aside from the menu items and beverages, they've got this awesome covered patio that is heated throughout the fall and winter with a bunch of big screens to watch all your favorite sports. And the best part is they have DJs playing tunes there every Tuesday night from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. and Sundays 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. 
So come through North 45 Pub for some tunes and some food. Let's get back to the episode. Is that the same buddy that you made solo flips with? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. my buddy, um, my buddy Alexi, Alexi Isoff. Yeah. Hell yeah, that that um, that's a that's a cool project as well. Hell yeah, thanks, man. Um, yeah, we got we got. Oh man, we got another EP that's like basically done. That's like drum and bass shit that I'm super stoked on. Um, he came out here a few months ago, and we just like hold up in the basement and like made this drum and bass shit, and it fucking. I listen to it all the time because I fucking love it. Was that was solo flips like the first time you made a project that was done so remotely, kind of working in that space in the the pandemic and whatnot? Yeah, that was probably the like most remote because we did remote with Corgi and Bass, which was with Cyrus. Right, right. Um, but I actually did some of that tracking with Cyrus like in person though, so I think that disqualifies it. Mm yeah that was that was the first one and and actually we did man we like made those joints over zoom (laughs) like straight up dude like just like screen sharing over zoom and i was like okay i got drums and chops and then i would show them and we like mixed it over zoom and stuff (laughs) it's fucking pretty funny like that um but yeah he's just like super killing and like it was really fun to take those I basically again I just like made some fucking like loops and then he like comes through and like all these melodies and like really dope solos on a couple of them and stuff and then one of them was like oh yeah we got to get Micah on it so we got Micah on one on drums and that's my favorite joint on that record um I actually have a couple remote things happening right now I'm doing stuff with with my real good buddy uh Wino Willie out in new orleans uh we got a vinyl coming out here through this record label grilchy party nice um just like collab shit he lives in new orleans so like we just send we have like a couple different ways that we work online Uh, we use this app called pedal or we'll just send like ableton projects back and forth or he uses mpc too so what you can do is send mpc projects so he just like we have a dropbox folder i'll make some drums he'll make some drums and we just swap them and then he'll put down chops and i'll put down chops on yeah um but we got that vinyl coming out and then we actually also have even before that we got a tape with this so it's me wino um and then this rapper named love ulysses from minnesota so it's like a three-way thing right there which that's just going to be super heat and then i got I'm actually just started working on stuff with my boy in Australia too. Who's fucking super dope. Another NPC cat. My buddy Strong Maurice. Yeah. That dude's fucking smashing. And he sent me some crazy drums. I'm stoked to get in on them. Do you feel like the that community or just, you know, the beat making and uh the instrumental music of this nature is like really uh I don't know, just kind of like lends itself to making music remotely like this, maybe a little bit more than some other music might be. Totally, man. Yeah. It's just like, as far as like the technology and stuff goes, it's like if he's using Ableton and I'm using Ableton or if they're using um, MPC and I'm using MPC and like we can just trade files back and forth. It's like, I know exactly what they were doing 
like when I open up the project, they and then they'll know exactly what I'm doing when they open up my project. I don't know. And then we could just send shit back and forth like that. Super easy. And it's not like like songwriting, like doing actual songwriting is like probably a little bit different. Um, Cause like for me personally, I like being in the room with the artists when they're doing the vocals, if at all possible. Um, even just to like have control over the production, maybe to like fit what they're doing or to like be like, oh yeah, we should try this at this section instead of like me sending off joints and then them sending me a whole take back and being like, oh, well, I was kind of thinking this and then they've already yeah. done all the work and we did, you know, when it could have just been like this easy fluid thing. Yeah. I'm curious how much uh, engineering and mixing experience did you have prior to getting involved with Corgi and Bass and really like diving down the rabbit hole of these NPCs and MIDI controllers? Because that seems like it just kind of like goes hand in hand as a part of learning these things and wanting to make beats. I had zero and I still feel like my mixing, I'm like, I'm trying to take a class here, like straight up and like get some real like mixing lessons, you know, I mean, back in college, I did, I did my, my old hip hop band's first record in my, uh, <laughs> fucking, that was when I was in college and it was in like the main jazz rehearsal room. And we had, dude, like nobody used it in the thing except for like me and my couple friends it was like a whole recording rig with like mics and a big interface, all the mic stands and cables you needed and fucking like nobody uses shit. So I was like, and I had my hip hop band and I was like, yo, let's just like go in at night and record this. And I remember I was like, not telling my director that I was doing that <laughs> shit. That's awesome. <laughs> and then one day he like walked in and saw like, it was like 10 p.m. or something like that and he like happened to be there and he like came in and there's just like a bunch of motherfuckers like <laughs> setting up to like record and he was like okay and he was like into it though he was like super cool he appreciated like, your oh, ambition yeah, um yeah i mean like learning the mixing thing in particular has been like really corgi and bass and like my roommate micah really like they're both, you know, Bear is a drummer, Mike is a drummer. Learning how to record drums is is was my impetus for trying to learn how to like actually try to mix stuff. Um, because I just wanted like I got these two amazing drummers like very close to me in my life, you know, and I want to be able to utilize them and have the drum sound like fucking right. And then and then trying to just like get that. It has like it's like you said, it, it's made me realize part of being a beat maker is you, you like learning this shit too. And like being a producer is like learning like some, at least like basic mixing techniques. There's dudes who do it like only mix, you know? And obviously those dudes, I would, I would still send my shit to be mixed by like, if I, if I had it my way, I would have somebody else mix my shit. Like I, I just would. Cause there's people who are better at it than I am. But you kind of got to like learn as much as you can to like work with what you got. So you're not paying $300 a fucking track to like have your <laughs> right. shit professionally mixed. I know that you and Micah are super close and 
also an incredible musician, Micah Hummel. Check out his music for sure. I know he's got a new record coming out soon. And uh, Barrett Brown from Corgi and Bass, your collaborator there. What is what is it about drummers? Do you think that that you gravitate towards so much? Because I know not only you know as music collaborators, they're just like two of your best friends, and you know people that you just have you spend a lot of time with. Totally, man. Um, yeah, I mean, and like my one of my like my other best friend in Phoenix, my boy Jacob uh, was he was the drummer too and that was my roommate for like two years so like i just for and i I think a big part of it comes from just like being a bass player for so long and like the drummer like in jazz band shit the drummer is like your your homie like in the you know it's like you two like holding the shit down Mm. in the band so like if you're not and that's not to be like, oh, that's why I'm like tight because I'm not tight with every drummer or I'm not like super friends like that with every drummer. Yeah. But like, you know, the ones that are your buddies are like, it's like, I really dig this drummer. And if I could play another instrument decent, it would definitely be drums too. But I have fucking garbage on drums. Something about them is just like, I love and and I like and this is dumb because I don't know how to play them, but I love like good drums and I love good drums when they're in tune. And I love when good in tune drums are recorded well. So like that stack of process. And then I love when like good recorded drums are mixed really well. They're like an instrument that could set a whole vibe just by itself, like very easily with texture. And I think that's why I appreciate about a good drummer is somebody who knows that they have control over the whole vibe of the song. Like it really is like down to the drummer. Like, are you playing soft or quiet? will dictate mm. fucking like 90% of the vibe of the song. <laughs> if the drummer's playing loud or soft. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll watch the drummer all show. And um, it's crazy how just like the smallest moment, they can create to like you're saying to create that vibe i i saw this band recently they're called valley maker and this dude's it's just like pretty low-key mostly acoustic like four-piece band very uh yeah just very slow tempos and whatnot and this dude is just like throwing down like the greatest feel on the kit and then there's this this moment where he goes back and forth between a shaker and a rim shot. And it's, I'm just like, my eyes light up. I don't know what's happening. And I'm, I'm just like, I don't know how he like, he's making this happen like perfectly. I don't, I don't understand, you know, there, it doesn't. And it's, it's also those people always make it look really effortless too. It seems like. (laughs) Yeah. They like all the best musicians make that shit look like they ain't doing shit, you know? but they're doing like the craziest shit. But yeah, and I I think with with drummers in particular, it's like having that control over the whole vibe of the song is like super important and then therefore you need to be able to make very clear decisions about like what your vibe of the song is going to be. Yeah. And for and the thing is, with with beat making is and like producing it's the same fucking thing like you need to make 
I mean, every musician's job is this, but the drummer, more importantly, you need to make only the right decisions for the song. It doesn't matter what other song we're talking about. Like if this song needs this, then that's like the shit that you should be doing. And usually it's when you do that, it's usually like your gut instinct. Like, oh, I'm just hearing like, And if you start adding like, then you're going to like, fuck it up. Yeah. So like, you know, the, and the drummer is like the one who has the most power in this circumstance because their shit is, it's got the most like, and it's like a physical fucking thing. It's like, they have the most attack. Right. And like the most volume control, like up and down. I know from talking to you that, Corgi and bass was like your first big project where you were like a key contributor. Is that, is that true as far as like compositions mostly from what I, yeah, yeah. I would say as far as, as like the composition part. Yeah, for sure. And around that time you were playing like as a role player and maybe some other bands at that time. Totally. And that was mostly my shit, even throughout all of college. Like I wrote some tunes in college, but do you think all that time you kind of put in playing in other bands and, and playing with other people really helped you understand that that serving the song was most important and just kind of being able to get out of your own way when you did have the heavier hand in something like Corgi and bass or obviously like with your solo projects? Yup. Yup. And like, and it's mostly been like a reflective realization on that too, you know, where it's like, Oh, I remember like playing this jazz gig back in the day and I was just trying to do my own shit. And I would recognize like how fucking whack that was. One of my favorite like musical things I've ever done was playing with old wave, um, you know, like Adam and stuff. And Adam is like very particular about like the shit that you play and the way that you play it, especially the bass part and the way it sounds like with tone and everything. But to me, those are like my favorite song. Those are like some of my favorite songs. So, and definitely some of my favorite music I've ever played. So if I didn't do exactly that, then I wouldn't be serving the song correctly. Mm. And I always like think, I, I just like think back to that moment and just to like give yourself some clarity like when you're making a beat being like it's really easy to be like oh this needs something fast or oh it it doesn't have a snare drum so i need a snare drum yeah. or it doesn't have like a bass so i need to put bass but like maybe the fucking song doesn't need a bass things don't need like compression and stuff if they're sitting right so and these and all of that like playing all those background jazz gigs basically definitely inform that shit where it's like, well, if I do this, then it like actually sounds really good. And being a bass player is all about playing like with a good time feel and in tune. So if you can do those two things and ah, for yeah. sure, man, well, uh, fuck. There's so much music for people to to check out. If they want to dive down the, the Meltzer rabbit hole, there's all your solo work. There's the, the the stuff the corgi and bass stuff with Barra and the and the gang uh 
seems like that that project is always growing in size for the live shows which is uh always exciting i love that you'd show up to a corgi and bass show and you never really know how many uh how many players there are going to be i know dude neither do i sometimes (laughs) just always makes it a (laughs) a different experience for sure but uh i'd encourage people to go back and uh you know check out this this catalog of music that you have i know uh big blocks is on Bandcamp right now along with some other records and your other stuff is is on the streaming services um that concentrics collection of tunes is is very cool and i saw that uh you used some art from your mom too yeah which is really dope i was like visiting and she's a really dope artist um yeah she she cranks out paintings it's fucking insane it and she does kind of the same shit i do with beats where she just like wakes up in the morning and then we'll like shit out three paintings and then like go about her day (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome um but yeah, I saw that and that's actually just like a close up of like one of her pieces and I was like, man, that little texture looks really tight. Yeah. Is that the uh is that the first time that you've done something like that as far as using your mom's art for your your music art? Yeah, it is. <laughs> that's right. Actually, I did I do have man, I I have an unreleased tape that I have. It's like fucking done. I just never dropped it and it's been like 2 years but she did the art for that one too. And I just never dropped it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> also, I had love Jones on recently, another, uh, Portland beat maker. And, um, I guess my mom likes beats now. She tunes in and she discovered that she, she likes beats through love Jones's music. So I'll have to check in with her and see what she thinks about the Meltzer beats and see if it uh passes the test because she's oh, yeah. uh she's kind of the beat authority now on uh on this podcast <laughs> tight hell yeah um yeah love jones is the man and he makes good music absolutely Go by love jones shit. i think he's got a new record coming out too like in like a few days check out love jones check out the love jones episode a few a few weeks back well, I'll put all the links in the the episode notes so people can keep up with you and the the corgi and bass stuff as well. Always a pleasure to to get to chat it up with you, dude. Yeah, likewise, man. I I always have such a great time, dude. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, it's I, like, yeah. Definitely could have talked for hours about more other stuff, so, you know. It's uh, it's not gonna be the first solo appearance for uh, for Alex Meltzer here. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm always be down back. to get fucking zonked on some joints <laughs> and talk about shit. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna play it out with uh, with Endline off the Big Blocks album. I figured that would be a fitting a fitting end to uh, this episode. Uh, you want to sail us out with a. And it's a program to properly wrap this thing. It's a program. That's Meltzer, everybody. He nailed it. Check out his music and uh, all the links in the episode notes. And we're playing it out with Endline off that Big Blocks record. The Bandcamp link will be in the episode notes as well. And uh, that's the Jelly Jams. And we will catch you on the flip side, Portland or wherever you are listening from. Peace.
Hey, just want to give a big shout out to Distro Kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Can't say thank you enough to Distro Kid for their support of this thing. And make sure you go into the episode notes and find that Distro Kid link to receive 30% off your first year of membership with Distro Kid, making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you. So make sure you take advantage of that. And the link is also in uh, the link in my Instagram bio on the link tree. So you can find it there as well. Big thanks to DistroKid. Stay up, stay tuned.